I've got the experience of putting arrows into animals in any position, and I don't worry about it because that arrow is going to find its way through past a big old shoulder or whatever. I'm ranging this rock and that tree and this, that, and okay, if it comes this way, what am I doing? If it comes that way, what am I doing? And I'm visualizing every scenario and putting myself through it so that when it pops up, I'm not surprised. What hunting does for me is it reminds me of my purpose. My purpose is just to walk with my God, to be able to talk with him, to hear from him. And it affords me time, like the Sabbath, to just rest. And I spend a lot of time, because it's a year-round season here, I love it, but I, I will just find myself sitting there, reading my iPhone Bible in a likely spot and enjoying the quiet. What is up, guys? My name is Tyler Pruitt, and I am the host, and I am the founder of this show, the Rise Elite Podcast. So the Rise Elite Podcast is a show that is designed for everybody who loves God, freedom, and the great outdoors. So if you guys prioritize those things, if you guys are constantly pursuing those things, then I think you guys are going to enjoy this show. So today's guest on the Rise Elite Podcast is Elliot Sprague. So Elliot is a bow hunter and an avid outdoorsman from across the world in the great land of Australia. So today, Elliot and I have a great conversation about living in Australia, his experiences while out hunting in the outback, and of course, his faith in God. I'm excited to share this episode with you guys today, but before I do that, I want to just want to ask you guys a couple things. So go ahead and click that subscribe button on the podcast platform that you're listening to. So that way you guys don't miss out on any of the future episodes of the Rise Gillette podcast. And believe me, you guys aren't going to want to miss out on those episodes. I've got some really incredible guests lined up and I'm excited about the lineup that's coming up over the next few weeks. And as I'm planning ahead with the, with this show, I think you guys are going to be excited about that lineup as well. And also, if you guys find any value from today's episode, then go ahead and leave the Rise Elite podcast a rating and a review on the podcast listening platform that you guys are using. All right, so I think most of you guys are probably using the Apple podcast platform. Uh, it has a really easy way of being able to leave a rating and review. So basically, once you guys click that subscribe button, it'll be big purple letters probably. <laughs> click that subscribe button, scroll down give one through five stars, whatever you feel like this show deserves, and then go ahead and type in a little uh, review on what you think about the show. And then maybe give your favorite episode, do anything like that. And that would be greatly appreciated because those things, they go a long way in promoting the growth of this show in an organic way. Okay. And they're also a testament to the impact that this show is having on people from literally all over the world. Like, it's pretty incredible to see the list of countries that are popping up on my side of the, the podcast publishing platform that I'm using. It's awesome to, to see that. So head on over to your podcast platform that you're listening to and do that today. And that would be greatly appreciated. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into my conversation with Elliot today on the Rise Gilly podcast. So I'm sitting here with Elliot Sprague, and we were kind of talking a little bit beforehand. It also could be pronounced Sprague, as I've just learned, and that's that's very interesting. That's pretty cool. But Elliot is my first one from my first guest on the Rise Kelly podcast from literally across the other side of the world. 
Like, you know, I've, I've had uh, at least one other international guest at this point, but you're the first one who is literally on the opposite opposite end of the earth from me. And it's so cool for us to be able to connect, you know, using technology. And, you know, technology is one of those things that it's when it's working, it's it's great. But whenever it's not like we were kind of experiencing a minute ago, <laughs> when it's not, then it, it, it can be a little bit of an issue. But I'm just thankful that we were able to kind of connect here. Um, I'm over here in Kentucky. You're over in Australia. And it's crazy that we can have this conversation through our computer. So that's so thank you for being on the show, man. It is. It is crazy that um, it's crazy that God moved me all the way over here. Really? I mean, that's just um, it's never something I ever would have thought in a million years. I'm originally from Nebraska. And what Nebraska boy thinks, uh, hey, I'll, I'll be in Australia someday, you know. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so um, born in Nebraska and, and uh, a dad who's just hardcore goose hunter. Um, you know, he's shot a five-point whitetail. He's done a couple of other things, elk in Colorado. He doesn't care about any of that. All he wants right. to shoot <laughs> are geese all day long. And I think um, – there's a lot That's of them out there in Nebraska too. Oh man. I thought he lives for it and his retirement and everything is just, he, he, well, he's done some crazy stuff. Like he, um, he built a barge in the seventies that, um, there's, there's a whole, um, community of, of goose hunters and duck hunters that, um, took some like irrigation pipes, made barges that they'd put their, you know, their, their tin boats in and and drive around a floating island in like Lake McConaughey and and those rivers. Anyway, um, he turned one into a giant goose in like '78. Is uh, <laughs> like he's just a, a silly silly old man for his geese. Anyway, you, so you could drive a you know twenty foot goose around on the lake just cause, <laughs> i don't know post-traumatic stress from vietnam or whatever it was that made him do that <laughs> talk about anyway, a serious decoy i mean that, that yeah you know add that into your decoy spread and see how that works out for you <laughs> um, oh man so how are things going all the way over there in the on the other side of the world like you know it's a pretty crazy yeah. world that we live in right now so how are things doing well australia is a it's not really what you think of the um, in the in the, the you know the Mick Dundee and everybody's in the outback and everybody's wild. It really it's a very very um, civilized community, but at the <laughs> same time, it's um, extremely careful, cautious, and afraid a little bit. Um, maybe no offense to Australians, but it's culturally. This coronavirus thing, uh, we've had like maybe a hundred deaths and everybody's freaking out. And it's like, we've got to lock down and we've got to stay at home and we've got to, and very fearful and, um, definitely took a, took a toll on our deer hunting this season. Like we were locked down right in the middle of April and that's the two weeks. It's like, it's like locking down September in America for archery hunters, right? And that's all I do is bow hunt. But our fallow rut, the fallow deer is what we've got here. Um, that was shut down. And I woke up in April every day, just raising my fist going, why? You know, this was gonna be my year. <laughs> anyway. Um, so they had no season? No, they just kind of skipped over the deer season this year? That's exactly what happened. Oh, oh man, that's crazy. 
Yeah. I wonder what the thinking behind that was. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the idea of people getting out and that kind of thing, but you would think, you know, I know for, for me personally, like, cause we had our lockdown, it was kind of going on. Everything was kind of shut down around April, which is like Turkey season over here, spring Turkey. And <clears throat> I was actually able to hunt more <laughs> because I didn't have to, you know, travel to go to work. And I was able to, you know, I was working from home. So I was actually able to get some more hunting done. And, you know, I can tell you right yeah. now, I, I had nobody within miles of me when I was out on a farm turkey hunting. So that's, that's crazy that's that the that's, uh, that's the mentality around it. Yeah, it was. Um, and, and, and that's um, like, that's why I question what, what's going on in this world? Why are we, why, right. why can't I go to the forest? Can why can't I go by myself to the forest? And uh, it was, well, some people would just go to the forest. Others might stop in and get a hamburger at the local shop and spread the coronavirus from Melbourne into the rural districts, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. So um, it is what it is in it. And it, well, next year should be better. I got to sneak away a little bit. You could travel for if it was work related. So I went and quote, did some work on a buddy's yeah, farm <laughs> and uh, his farm is, it's shot by the neighbor kid though. You know, I mean, every night spotlighted with a, you know, a kid on a four wheeler. And so all the big heads were gone. I, I popped a young fallow buck at about 18 meters lengthwise. It was a pretty, pretty amazing um, new, uh, I'd never really shot fully lengthwise on a deer but i knew that my setup could do it and i'm talking it was front on at me and uh the arrow i shoot a 605 grain arrow with about 19 percent foc which it just went right through it you know yeah front shoulder exited the pelvic ramp uh, came up like a skateboard ramp and the arrow flipped up and I was just kind of looking at the whole situation like what the heck just happened there what did and I watched this arrow kind of tumble up backwards over his back like what did I hit and then when I found the deer I was like wow that thing went through lengthwise and wasn't stopping for nothing <laughs> but anyway that's awesome that's um, awesome so how tricky is it to actually hunt fallow deer and I've, I've heard all kinds of stories and I've seen some videos and that kind of thing of some guys going out and doing it. And you know, how can, how tricky can it be compared to like, I don't know, I guess like elk or blacktail or whitetail or whatever. Right. Um, so they make an amazing croak. If you go on YouTube yeah. and you listen to the grunt, the croak, the fallow croak, um, it's like they call the hunter, you know, you can hear it in the forest and they are calling you. And what they're doing is they are mating right then and there. They make that sound where they're getting fired up. Um, yeah. You know, there's a doe in heat near them, whatnot. You know, there's a, a buck just croaking. So you go and you, you actually can track them down. Now, you don't see the young ones doing that a whole lot. I mean, maybe they do, but they get chased off real quick if they make some sounds like, hey, I want some ladies you know, the big one to get them out of there. But, um, so they were kind of a, they're a herd animal and, um, they're easy, but they're, they're not, they're still deer, man. You know, like I'm, every time I've gotten next to the big one, that's, 
mating, you know, within bow range. Well, the doe that he's mating, that's the one who's looking around and catches me. And she runs off and he just follows and he has no idea I was even there. He has no idea. One thing on the mind. (laughs) Yeah. So what do you think of when you, when you hear of Australia, what do you, what are you picturing? You know, you know, honestly, a lot of, yeah. Whenever I hear Australia, honestly, the first thing I think of is like the crocodile Dundee, the, the Steve Irwin type, (laughs) like, like the first thing I think of is like Australia zoo and like Sydney, the opera house. Like, I mean, a lot of that's, I guess the, the cultural upbringing of, um, you know, Americans. And that's kind of what we, what we kind of associate with, australia with because those are the images that we see and that kind of thing and you know i've listened to a lot of guys who hunt over in australia i've seen some videos and that kind of thing and um you know kind of seeing different parts of the country itself and it's a it's actually pretty diverse i mean after i've kind of educated myself more on it but whenever i first even today like my first uh image that pops in my head whenever i think of australia is the the crocodile dundee the steve Irwin, the accent like that, the, yeah. the Australian yeah. accent, I can't, you know, get that out of my head whenever I think of the country, Australia. <laughs> there is a lot of red dust here, but like where I live in Melbourne, the, way down south, um, it is a lot like Oregon where I'm, you know, kind of grew up most of my life and it's green and it's lush and there's, um, you know, it's a gum forest, which is a bit different than pines and stuff like that. But um, it is a really, it is diverse, just like you said. And like that farm I was just hunting at, I was hunting fallow and a kilometer away, you know, was the beach where I could have been diving for some lobster and spearfishing for, you know, whatever kind of reef fish are right out there. Like it's, it's pretty fun that there's that much to do here. You know? Yeah. I love it. It is it's like uh, God made me for this place, man. I love it. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So where did the, all that kind of, you know, start for you? The whole, you know, interest in the hunting, the whole interest in being in the outdoors. And then of course, uh, eventually ending up over in Australia. How did that kind of yeah. turn out for you? So growing up in Oregon and, um, I've had a, had a couple stepdads and none of them were really into hunting or too much, but they were super supportive. Um, and super supportive. Uh, I wanted to get a bow when I'm 12. Uh, you know, my dad got me shotgun when I was 10 and started my gun collection. And all, all my life, I've just been doing that stuff. I, you know, growing up in Nebraska in the summers, visiting my dad, bass fishing, etc. coming back to Oregon and going, what do I do with this um, steelhead salmon stuff? What do I, how, how do I, you know, I just wanted to go fish. I had to figure that out. Got into fly fishing, taught myself how to fly fish because, I don't know, it was the 90s. There was no internet. And uh, you just, it, you know, when you grow up in Oregon, it's all around you, the green and the, the rivers. and the, I mean, you just, you do it if you want to. It's there. So I figured it out and it just was, well, it just became super duper passion and um it even took like my my stepdad was a football coach high school football coach and so of course i played ball and even got some interest from colleges to play at the university level and i just quit 
I just, after my senior year, I was like, nah, I'm going to Boise State because there's a river running through campus and mm -hmm. that's my college. Uh, you know, that's where I'm going because I'm going to fly fish and I'm going to go to the mountains and that's all I want. Um, I probably spent, I think about nine years trying to get my four-year degree because I was following my fly rod all over the West. Took a job in the Tetons. Um, managed a fly shop in the in Moran, Wyoming for a bit, up in the Teton Park. That was cool. And then, I mean, I was just, and I worked for the BLM on the Deschutes one summer and that kind of cut into college, you know, a bit of a yeah. spring and the fall term. And I didn't care. I mean, I didn't, you know, I've heard of the five and the six year senior, but never a nine year. <laughs> yeah. I went back to Oregon state and I mean, I just was all over the shop and I, you know, it didn't, uh, it's, it's interesting now that I have my own kids and I don't push them for college. I've got a, you yeah. know, I did my, I've been, you know, um, I'm a little, I'm a little all over the shop cause I don't want to, I want to bog the story down here with, then I actually was in the tech game after college, after my nine years, then I'm, you know, I'm settled down. I met my wife back in when I was 12. Well, I re-met her when I was 25 and I was like, oh yeah, I, I forgot I was going to marry you, you know, and so I marry her. And then God moves me into this tech business where I'm working in the Apple computer realm in about 2000. And we grow this business out of this house to a $40 million company. And all the while, I'm building a drift boat because I'm, I'm still looking at, you know, all I want to do is fish. I want to, you know, I want to fly fish and I want to provide somehow that uh, the money just pays for me to fish. So let's build a boat yeah. business. That way I can just have the excuse and justify my means to fish all the time. I'll build a boat business. So I did that for like seven years while I was working in the Apple world, all that came crashing down about 2008 at the global financial crisis stuff, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. My wife's like, uh, let's move to Australia. Jayco, Jayco in America, there's also a Jayco Australia that was started in the 70s by an Australian. Very cool company, old Jayco. Um, that camper that you know, you raise the roof and the beds come out. That was patented yeah. in the U.S. The guy in the in the 70s in Australia brought it over to Australia and, and kind of built a market around that patent. That company in Australia saw my boat stuff and brought us all over here. Saw the trailer that I had built and that kind of stuff and brought me onto the R&D shop over here. And I worked for them for several years and started making my life in Australia. As soon as I got here, I, I really didn't want to come. Yeah. I was like, you know, that's a big move. I'm a fly fisherman and I'm not going to the driest continent in the world. What are you talking about? You know? And I was like, why? Uh, but the boat business during that, re that global recession, that's about the dumbest thing you can do. And I did it of course, cause I just do things without thinking. And, uh, <laughs> You know, who, who's buying boats in, uh, in, and I'm building, I built the most expensive fly fishing drift boat and trailer package you could buy. And that's what I built 
during a time when nobody's spending money on boats, you know? <laughs> so right. my wife, I remember like two years of struggling and she's finally, we're at a happy hour one night. She's like, let's just go to Australia. And I was like, fine, let's go do the job at Jayco, whatever. And I'm going to tell you, it was at that time when I finally died to my own agenda of what I thought I needed to do in this world, that my life just started getting better every day. Mm -hmm. I finally just threw up my hands. I said, fine, take me where you need me to go and I'll do whatever you need me to do. And I was saying that to my wife and God and never before had I consulted either of them on building boats or doing anything. I just did my own stuff. I just ran headlong, you know, just like picking up and switching universities. I didn't just did it. I just did it. So anyway, it was like at that time when my life just changed and I, we had reinvented ourselves as we came over here. I had two daughters at the time. They were six and nine. Now they're Man. 18, 16, 10 years later. Yeah. And, um, you know, everything about our lives is just different. We were stuck in this weird rut, subdivision stuff back in the States. And I didn't have any real time to go do what I wanted to do because I was working on tech or working on this. or And now it's just like, nah. I am. I'm self-employed. We get by. I just make sure I wake up in the morning and I'm, uh, I'm in the word and saying, Lord, what am I supposed to do today? You know, that's how I approach Absolutely. it. And I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> there is no season on deer here in Australia. I can hunt them year round and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. I bet it is. So how was that like whenever you guys first ended up over in Australia, what was, was it kind of a culture shock? Had you, have you had, had ever been to Australia prior to that? Or was it just like, let's pack up everything, let's go and, you know, just kind of make it happen. Like how did that transition kind of, kind of take place yeah. and how did, how did you guys handle that transition? Um, well, I'll tell you, I remember standing there in Melbourne in our, in our first week here and I'd been telling my girls, we're moving to the sun. You know, we're moving out of gray Oregon and Oregon, man, you, you, two months where you don't see the sun, you know, yeah. you'll go for weeks of just gray horizon to horizon. Anyway, we're standing in Melbourne in January and it was the first time the drought had broke for this country and it's raining on us. And my six-year-old daughter is just, we're waiting for the city tram. She looks up at me and she's like, dad, you know, and she's crying like what's wrong you said we were moving to the sun you know it's raining on us here in melbourne and it's like i've lied to him the whole time anyway from the rain um, to the rain <laughs> yeah but um i'll tell you the the difference we made is we started we we didn't have the tv on anymore we just didn't like that, that kind of, we were in that um, um, American where we walk in and then the TV's on something. Now yeah. it doesn't happen. And we, we started playing cards, the four of us, and we really pulled in to, to the family unit. And that was the first best invention, reinvention. The Australian culture that really shocks people is 
the amount of time off mandated by the government. The work-life balance here is phenomenal. Like people will take a whole month off at Christmas, which is our summer. Yeah. Shops will just close for three weeks. And everybody's at a holiday home. Everybody's just on holidays. And they just, it's just normal. Like, um, like Jayco was shut down for three weeks. This is a business that makes $180 million a year. And they're like, no, you know, yeah, sure. We could make some more money, but shouldn't we just go relax with our families? And, and that's the beautiful thing that is missing in America. And why I, I just, I hear so many of our podcasts of hunting and whatnot. And I, I hear these guys and they, they saving up their days for that one trip deer hunting they get to do or whatever. And I yeah. just go, Oh, what a sad way to live. And I love the, I love America. I miss it, but there's a lot that I kind of go, man, we're not doing that right. It's not the let's, let's work until we're old and gray, 60, 65. And then we can hunt however much we want. You know, it's just, it's not the way to live. So yeah. anyway, it can, be, it can definitely be tricky. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of people. They, they struggle with that. Uh, you know, that working too much, that, that workaholic mentality. And a lot of people don't even realize that they have that going on. And I know it's, that's something that's, you know, cu- culturally pushed in America and other countries, other places and that kind of thing. And it's, it's always like, what are you producing? What are you making? Like, uh, I, I struggle with it as well. I always feel like I have to be doing something like whether I'm doing my full-time job cause I'm a teacher full-time in public schools. But if I'm doing, if I'm not doing that, then I should be doing the podcast. If I'm not doing the podcast, I should be, you know, right. writing something. I, mean, I should be doing something. I, I, I struggle with that as well. And it's a, uh, there are days where, and there are times where I'm just like, man, I just gotta, I just gotta step back because I get so worn down and I get so out of focus on what's actually important in my life. Yeah. And that's of course, spending time with family, you know, spending time with God and those kind of things. And, uh, I lose focus off of those trying to, you know, build something and trying to produce something. Not that that's not important, but I feel like, you know, whenever you have those times where you have, you have the Sabbath, you know, you have the Sabbath and you have a time of rest and you have uh, a chance to recharge your batteries, you can come back to the job, you know, more ready, more focused, ready to go, ready to kind of get right. after it. And I noticed that when I, especially I always try to take some time around Christmas because like I said, being a teacher, uh, I get about two or three weeks off around that time anyways, cause that's kind of when we have our winter break. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I have that time where I can, you know, refocus and of course refocus on family, refocus on my relationship with God and, you know, coming back in January to school, you know, I'm at that point, I'm like, okay, you know, let's go ahead and kind of, kind of get after it again. And it's, uh, right. it's definitely something that, uh, I can definitely appreciate. And I've noticed a lot in my own life and, you know, having the TV on all the time. That's something that, you know, we struggled with as well as just, like you said, it's part of the culture and that's something, you know, especially with this coronavirus deal and the, you know, everybody having to be at home and that kind of thing. We've tried to do a lot of the same thing where we just turn the TV off. Like, and just, let's just read, let's, you know, build some Legos. Let's, uh, you know, draw some pictures or something. Let's, you know, have some family time. We played some board games and that kind of thing. We are actually, uh, believe it or not, we were playing a board game uh, before we jumped on this call. So it's, nice. it's those types of things, those family times, that's certainly important. That, that sounds like what you got going on. Yeah. I, I hope the coronavirus really sh- shakes up some people to say, wow, man, 
man, you yeah. know, what are we doing? What are we doing with our lives day to day? And, and anyway, but you know, on the flip side, I'd say all this stuff and I, 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 I can just spend hours, you know, sharpening knives and building arrows and doing that kind of thing and doing uh, not, you know, um, it's a good thing, but I'm not producing uh, the work that pays the bills. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not chasing my growing my business and I should be, I should be doing more of that, but there's deer hunting year round in Australia. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> so that I guess that's definitely something that would be a, a major difference in, you know, the U S wildlife conservation model and, you know, kind of how, <clears throat> based off just kind of our conversation here, here on uh, how Australia kind of handles something. Because, of course, with yeah. whitetail, I just use Kentucky specifically just because that's where I live. And that's I'm much more familiar with how they have their season set up. But I will have in the beginning of September, that's kind of when we're going into fall. Beginning of September, we'll have, you know, the first Saturday is typically traditionally the archery opener. And then we'll have yeah. September and October where and then like the first week of november where it's all archery and you'll have some crossbow stuff kind of thrown in there also and then you'll have a two to three week um rifle season and then archery continues on after rifle season ends until like the middle of january and of course that's that's a kind of how traditionally it is because i think in a lot of ways i think just because i don't i don't know maybe you can talk on a little bit more on the australia side of things but i think with us like if you i know if you opened up whitetail season and you open up deer seasons and that kind of thing you know to be yeah. year-round i know the resources will probably be uh yeah cut down pretty slim pretty quickly so that's interesting that Let australia kind of has that model where they kind of well, do that here's the thing here's the have you, have you ever heard like old um you know adam green tree is an australian prolific bow hunter yeah. he's on joe rogan all the time yeah and he he was under some scrutiny for where he was hunting maybe yeah, with his yeah bow, i heard about that you know yeah he and and it's a small community here but let me just back up and i i, I watched the u.s really terrorize him because they didn't understand yeah. but what they don't understand is that every deer that is on this large red island cheetle axes you know those um, the the sambar the the fallow we've got this hog deer from Sri Lanka we've got um, the fallow uh, anyway all the deer reds they're all introduced species they're all non-native and uh, white settlers have brought them here 200 years ago mm -hmm. because you know ro British royalty or Dutch whatever wanted to shoot some stuff here so let's bring these here and that's what they're doing here. They're an invasive species. There's yeah. no predators in Australia at all. There's no bears, no lions, none of that. So the populations kind of go nuts. And the government themselves, you don't really hear about it unless you're in the Facebook groups of deer hunters who get enraged. But the government right. will send out a chopper with military rifles hanging out the side just culling uh deer from the air through the forest they just fly around gack, 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 just decimating the population because there's a lot of them now right that doesn't make them easier to get in bow range they're still deer 
you know, that there are a lot, yeah, it doesn't make it easier to hunt them. There's, there's still not a prolific amount where I just can go and I get, bring back a deer every time. Anyway, so there's the thing that, that Americans think, oh, well, they, there's a deer population and they're not managing it. Yeah, they're managing right. it with military rifles out of choppers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a different thing. You know, uh, poor Adam, you know, he, he actually, uh, I've, I've interacted with him a bit and um, he has a, a home that's adjacent to some state park and maybe walked into that boundary. He's got a huge ranch and he may or may not have known where he was walking. Yeah. But at the same time, in that state park, probably a week before, there was a chopper rolling through there going, gat, 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 on deer from the air right. and leaving those bodies to rot, you know. And there's where I kind of go, you know, let's not just, let's not get really fired up and mad. And, and it's a bummer he's lost his sponsorships and whatever over it. But. Mm -hmm. There's a whole thing going on here in Australia that the U.S. can't really wrap their head around. So that's the difference. And I, I, I've always yeah. wanted to kind of, you know, do a podcast with Adam and, and have a chat with him about it publicly for the U.S. people to get a better understanding. I saw yeah. some really uh, violent, you know, social media against Adam and that whole thing from a standpoint of ignorance yeah you don't know but anyway so that aside i remember whenever uh all that kind of was going down um i was listening to i don't remember i know cam haynes was on the conversation i know a few other guys were too i don't remember who all it was but it was kind of right around that time that um <clears throat> that was kind of taking place and yeah it, it was they were pretty pretty critical and those were all guys that were kind of always hunting with them and everything and you know and yeah. the thing is like they didn't really go into a whole lot of the details of what actually happened. They just threw out the word like poaching. And of course, as yeah. soon as you hear poaching, you know, especially over here in the U S or really anywhere. I mean, as soon as you say that word, you know, red flags come up, it's like, yeah. all right, so what's going on? So Adam's being accused of poaching. Well, and then of course, you know, that, that spiraled out of control and then it, you know, you end up losing sponsorships and took a lot of scrutiny and he's, you know, and a major part is kind of out of the, the public light, at least there for a while. And, um, yeah, yeah, there's just, I it think a lot a of it, spun yeah, more, it was just, know. it was crazy how, you know, how quickly it evolved and there was very little information kind of coming out at it. And other than just like he was poaching and, you know, I, right. I tried to do a little bit of research just to kind of, cause I, I was a big fan of Adam and, you know, I'd listened to some of his, uh, podcast interviews. I watched a lot of his videos and that kind of thing. Um, Thing there for a while they even had their own podcast or something and uh yeah. i was listening to a lot of a lot of his stuff and i was really enjoying them so you know to hear that initially <clears throat> i was a little disappointed but at the same time i was like there was probably a lot of information that wasn't being told as far as yeah. you know how things are managed in a totally different country compared to you know where we have native deer and we have native elk here and you have the invasive species over there and it's it's just two totally different models it is yeah and it, and um yeah it's funny you, you say you i have never really listened to adam on rogan i've never i started listening to him and kimmy do their um, podcast a little bit but you, you mentioned um the cultural differences 
man, swearing here, it is just a yeah. normal occurrence. And that was one of the big things when my kids first got here. We we're grade one, you know, my daughter comes home going, Daddy, they said the S word and uh, in class, <laughs> the teacher didn't even get mad. And I go, what, stupid? You know, that was kind of the yeah. S word that we don't say, you know, back yeah. then. And <laughs> she's like, nope. <laughs> the other one, like, you know, and and they just, you know, they just say swears, man. Yeah. And it's just part of the culture here. And I had to quit listening to Adam because I just can't hear that just coming out yeah i had to be real careful word. with them as well yeah just because <laughs> of that same reason it's much joe joe rogan he <clears throat> he does it a lot i mean anyways yeah but i mean you know adam and that was just kind of a, his big thing so of course it, anytime i would listen to you know him on his podcast or whatever if i listen to an interview i'd have headphones in and just be me so <laughs> that wasn't one i could uh turn on in the car going down <laughs> to the store or something with the kids in the back so <laughs> no, no. <laughs> And there's so much knowledge that he has for archery that I would have yeah, loved he does. to. I, I wish I wish he could have just cleaned it up so people could have heard. Yeah, I think that's what the big draw for was was yeah. just that, that that knowledge that he had. But I'll tell you, when I um, first got on the Instagram, what was like uh, three or four years ago, because of the hunting community, um, it was seriously three weeks later. And Adam ran his very first bow giveaway. You know, he'd get three new Hoyts every year, you know, and um, yeah. he would, uh, and he gave away his, <clears throat> his old Hoyt and I actually won it. <laughs> and awesome. we, we, we didn't know each other. We don't know each other. We don't, but um, you know, it was a little, Hey, right on one of my pictures. And I remember, you know, everybody's clearing dinners and I'm like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll say what bow hunting means to me on my on a picture of yours adam and i just start writing spend about six minutes dang it didn't i three days later he announced uh i won his um carbon defiant turbo and i'm just like <laughs> yeah right on which is like a two thousand dollar bow here in this country everything's yeah. expensive so man <laughs> anyway that's awesome, man. That's, that's really cool. I didn't, I didn't know that. What's that, uh, what's the whole journey of, you know, bow hunting in Australia, you know, having the experience of over here in the States and then taking yeah. that same knowledge and then kind of evolving that knowledge into a new, literally a new environment where you're hunting different animals. And, you know, how's that, uh, right. how's that kind of looked like for you as far as your evolution, as far as a, a bow hunter? Yeah. Great question. I'm going to tell you, um, I showed up, uh, in Australia with my 440 grain worth of arrow. And the first thing I did was I, I got on the forum 10 years ago, uh, bow hunting forum. I was like, Hey, you know, what's the local shop just moved here from the States. Basically everybody said, well, you just moved from all the shops we order from because there's just nothing here. <laughs> right. 10 years ago, there's shops are maybe few and far between and blah, blah, blah. And a, a guy reaches out to me on a DM, you know, and just says, Hey man, you want to go meet for some Chinese food and talk bow hunting? And I'm like, yeah. So we do. And a month and a half later, I'm in Alice Springs and we're hunting camels with bow. And okay. that's how I got introduced. Right. So now I've shown up with my 440 grain arrow 
take down a camel and that isn't happening. No way, no how, because it just doesn't have the smash, right? So I watch um, the friend of the friend who's shot hundreds of camels with his bow. He is so prolific in archery and he, he maintains a very low profile on social media. And I watched him, he's about my size, pulls back his 70 pound bow and fires a 580 grain gold tip into this camel and it's sticking out the other side. I watched my huge buddy that had DM'd me. He is a monstrous dude. He pulls back a hundred pound bow. He is a silly gearhead, right? And so he only talked, he took his 80 pound bow this time for the, and he was shooting, oh, I don't know, 500 grain arrow. And I watched it hit the scapula of the camel and it maybe got about two inches of penetration and just kind of flopped out and the camel stood there like what and he's just was looking at us from like 40 meters going what what are you guys doing to me and that's when my archery game just flipped itself on its head you know here i am chasing speed and lightweight arrows because that's what the shops in america mostly were doing 10 years ago that was the new technology all they could do was make things lighter and faster but i tell you speed doesn't kill and so i it it made me totally reinvent my archery when i got here and i went and got um a new 70 pound bow totally new setup and was shooting 595 grains and i you know with a 200 grain tip and I didn't care if it was a fallow doe. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm set up. I'm not going to change my pins and, and gear for this or for that. I shoot 600 grains on everything, even a rabbit. But I don't really shoot rabbits because, well, I'm cheap. And uh, my arrows <laughs> are 22 bucks worth of an arrow. And I can go down to Safeway here and buy a rabbit for 22 bucks. So, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I just, it doesn't matter. And then when I have that length on shot where it's just facing me, I know I'm going right through that brisket and I know it'll get there and I know it'll do the damage and I don't care what bone it hits. And that's how the archery game has changed. And and I wish there was more of that coming out of Adam or other bow hunters that have a platform because I see these YouTube videos where these guys are hunting elk back in the, you know, back in my home country. And they go, Oh, we got eight inches of penetration. I'm just going, dude, you gotta be kidding me. Have we not learned crunch through that, get through that, you know, with a heavy arrow. And um, anyway, it's, it's a, I I just wish somebody would, you know, and and I'm, uh, I'm crazy. I'm, you know, Americans will sit there and listen to this podcast and go, oh, he doesn't know anything. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I've been here. I've been hunting really in Australia for about eight or nine years. I say 10 because it just feels like 10, but eight or nine years. And I don't know how many deer I've shot. Like it's 30 something. I don't know. 40. I Like it doesn't. I, I've lost count. I'm not saying I'm awesome. What I'm saying is. I've got the experience of putting arrows into animals 
in any position and I don't worry about it because that arrow is going to find its way through past a, a big old shoulder or whatever. Anyway, I just, I wish, I wish um, we could get on. We've got VPA doing some stuff with um, heavy arrows. I like what they're doing. There's a couple, couple other crazies like uh, you ever seen the ranch ferry down in Texas. You ever heard of him? I think so. Go, go. I think I've heard yeah. of him. Yeah. He's crazy. He's a, he's a bit <laughs> whacked. And, but I've, I've chatted with Troy, you know, from Australia and I'm like, man, at least somebody's talking about it over there, you know? And he's the same way. Yeah. He's on a ranch shooting boar. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, I think it's definitely important that, you know, you have to have, you know, enough weight to be able to actually put an animal down. Cause if you can, it's different, you know, shooting a target cause shooting a target, you're not trying to kill it. You're just trying to hit, you're trying to be accurate with it. But whenever you're actually in the field and you're hunting, you have to have a heavy enough arrow to where you're actually going to be able to penetrate probably some bone. Cause there's a lot of bone there. You got scapula, you got uh, ribs and depending on the animal, you know, yeah. hunting a camel, <laughs> you know, or hunting like an elk or uh, even a, a white-tailed deer here in Kentucky, it weighs 200 pounds. I mean, there's still going to be some some pretty thick bones and some pretty thick ribs that you're going to have to penetrate through in order to get yeah. to the vitals, the lungs and the heart and that kind of thing. So just to have just having enough weight behind your arrow is going to be important for anybody. I, I kind of experienced that this past season and um, I hit a doe right in her scapula. I don't know if it was just the angle that I hit her at. She was kind of quartering uh, away from me a little bit, or if it was just uh, just kind of how how it. Yeah, I guess my arrow wasn't heavy enough, but it ended up re- deflecting right off of her scapula. Had her bleeding all over the place, but it ended up not killing her because it just kind of kind of she had that guard there and it didn't penetrate the bone. So that's something I definitely yeah. have some experience with. But on the negative side of it, I guess. <laughs> um and and. I, it does ask the archer to be more aware of their distance, you know, yeah. because my arrow flies slower. I mean, it's, it, I'm shooting, uh, I, <laughs> you know, I loved that har- carbon defiant turbo. I actually thought I needed that one real bad that year and was going to sell my 2011 MR6 Matthews and blah, blah, blah. Well, I never liked it. I never liked that Hoyt, but that's all right. Hoyt's a great company. But my point is, I still shoot my 2011 Matthews, um, and when it crunches through, it, it still just does the damage from whatever angle through whatever. And um, I'm now shooting the Black Eagle uh, Rampage with a 200 grain tip with a uh, they what do they have like a 80 or 90 grain insert outsert thing going on. I mean, there is so much weight up in the front crunching through um but like i said it's a speed bow that mr6 the reason i bring it up it's a speed bow with that eccentric cam but um it's still you know if my distance is off my arrow isn't going to hit where i need it to and so it asks a bit more of the archer if you're shooting a heavy setup whereas if you got a flat line fast arrow flying through you could be off on your estimation and make it happen. So there, there is that, that it, it asks a bit more from the archer when you're shooting a heavy arrow. So I guess why that's yeah. the trade-off. 
Yeah, I'm sure a lot of that just goes into the the preparation of it and just making sure that you you know the weapon that you're using. I think that that kind of translates over to just about any kind of weapon you use. You just got to make sure that you you know it and you know uh you know how kind of how it operates and each thing is going to have its own little quirks, I guess that you that you're going to have to kind of work through and and kind of know. And yeah. I think a lot of that just comes down to to practice in the field and just practice you know with the with the weapon prior to going out and actually actually and actually hunting because i see so many times that you know i see it a lot with rifle hunters as well is that you know they'll, they'll get a rifle straight out of the box they may go out to the range shoot it two or three times and then that, that's it like they they're they get out into the to the field to actually hunt and they don't know how the thing operates because they've never they haven't really gained that experience with it and you know that that's amplified i think with bows just because there's so many different moving parts and there's so many different things that can be be uh manipulated and so many different things that can be uh changed on it that i think you know you can you can change a lot in in the the shooting style i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah just based on uh, making sure that you're prepared and making sure that you know your weapon yeah you're right on you you know it takes practice you can't just show up and and like there's a lot of people that go man i want to go bow hunting with you elliot and i'm like yeah okay well uh i've got this extra bow so come over you know i've got an archery range of 40 meters set up in my driveway you come over we'll shoot a couple three five six seven weeks then you can come with me right you, yeah. you can't just right. hand somebody a bow and go here we go. Let's go try to put an arrow in God's creation appropriately. You know, right, That's right. The other thing, you know, just that's exactly what it is. Is that you know, like we, whenever we're in our backyard, we're shooting targets. But in the field, whenever we are hunting, that's exactly what we're doing. We are there's a there's a level of respect that we have to have for the animal in order to you know put the work in, in order to put the practice in to make sure that we're going to be able to be lethal with a shot and we're not going to wound it. You know, I, I yeah. still, to this day, you know, get a sick nauseated feeling in my stomach thinking about that doe that I injured last year. Like it's oh, just because, yeah. you know, it's just that, that experience. And, you know, it, it amplifies the, the priority in to continue to practice and to continue to make sure that you invest in equipment. That's going to be able to do the job. That way you don't have to experience that anymore. And that's, uh, yeah. I can definitely agree with what you're saying there. Absolutely. And, and I, f I find like how much more important is it when you're in America and you've got one shot in your 10 day window or four days that you get off or whatever, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, let's absolutely. make sure that system is going to crunch through whatever angle, you know, that deer is facing because it might be your only shot for the year. Um, That's true. But now I say, um, like you had mentioned that, that nauseating feeling, there are, there are a couple where I have thought that the shot was good and it just wasn't the right thing to do. Like I, you know, um, it happens yeah. even with a 600 grain arrow, I put a front on shot through the neck of a deer and he was at about nine meters and it just happened so fast. I thought I was going at the chest and it went through the neck. Blood trail was monstrous. It was monstrous. Yeah. So I thought this thing's done. Well, I didn't wait long enough for it to expire, you know, and I kept bumping it. And then the sunset 
and it was just a it's still either i i remember that that it was a sambar stag of in velvet and god i just feel horrible still recounting that so even mm-hmm. even in those um if, if your gear is all right and everything's perfect there's still the mental game of what do i do when it's eight meters from me when it's standing in my living room do and and i'm freaking out on and i shot 20 deer by then this is not like buck fever i just moved too quick it was too close i didn't still think through everything ethically and go man let the holy spirit move me let me be doing the right thing to god's creation slowly and effectively you know, I think anybody who's experienced something like that, you know, experiencing those those bot shots where it just kind of doesn't doesn't work out and you don't actually put the put the animal on the ground. It's it's so hard to kind of get over. And I think it could take I mean, depending on the animal, I mean, it could take years. Like I said, this was back in November, beginning of November when I did this and it's June now and I'm still thinking it over and still thinking through the process. Like, what did it what did I do wrong? Like. And then it, it was the same kind of situation with yours. It was, um, uh, it had a whole lot of blood, you know, it's spraying everywhere. It, I found a ton of blood where she was originally bedded down and it ended up just, you know, kind of getting less and less and less to the point to where it never, never, uh, she, I never ended up finding her. And, you know, it yeah. was just, just those situations that any, any hunter who's experienced that it can be pretty tricky to kind of get over but it just shows the importance of making sure that we you know respect god's creation enough to make sure that we are putting in the the hours and the reps and the days to uh get prepared prior to that yeah i kind of have like an annual schedule that i try to like to do and you know i'll I'll hunt turkeys in the spring you know our our season usually ends that first weekend ish of may as far as uh, turkey season goes and once the uh turkey season's over with I'll break out the bow again to start getting ready for September when the archery season kind of opens up and it gives me a good three, three and a half months or so to kind of get prepared right. for that. And so that's kind of like an annual schedule I've kind of tried to adopt over the past couple of years. And I think, I don't know, I, I, maybe, I, maybe, maybe I need to rep more, but I think just the, having that time, you know, to prepare is, is always important, but. Um, in preparation, uh, the new thing that I've done since that stag, that bad stag that, I wish I would have, you know, shot it just a little bit better. And if I didn't chase after it, I could have got it, but whatever. But to um, recount back in the days of playing baseball, it was always, you know, visualizing that pitch, visualizing the hit. You're, You're actually laying there in bed at night, mentally preparing to be in the batter's yeah. box. Um, doing that with archery is a new thing that I've done in the last five or six years that's totally helped. And especially when I sit down every new, you know, when I go and, and I go, oh, okay, well, here's a good spot. I'm going to sit down for a minute. I'm ranging this rock and that tree and this, that, and okay, if it comes this way, what am I doing? If it comes that way, what am I doing? And I'm visualizing every scenario and putting myself through it so that when it pops up, I'm not surprised. And um, that's really up to my archery game as well. Um, along those same lines, I wanted to talk about that pain of, of, of losing that animal. And it happens to everybody. Um, I actually, I actually asked for forgiveness for that one. You know, yeah. like I actually 
did ask for forgiveness. I said, Lord, I'm sorry that I did that without thinking properly. I just saw the antlers. I just saw that was a velvet stag that I wanted. And, you know, and I just moved quick and I, I was thinking selfishly and I, I, you know, I, I actually asked for forgiveness and I don't know, I throw it out there for all the other people that have that anguish still for carrying it, you know, ah, he forgives. There's new mercies every day, you know, and he's let me have, he's let me have another shot. Yeah, man. So what's that, you know, that experience been like for you as far as, yeah. you know, experiencing God's creation in the Australian, yeah. you know, the Australian wilderness. I mean, of course you, you've got some experience over here hunt, hunting in the States, you know, being out and uh, fly fishing, that kind of thing. But, you know, I think a lot of people, at least over here and where I'm sure everywhere they, they, when they think of God's creation, they think of the things that are around them, which yeah. of course is true. And that is all God's creation. But I think they kind of forget about the other parts of the world. Like God created this whole yeah. big rock that we live on. You know, he created Australia, you know, uh, Russia, you know, Asia, Europe, America, all these, all these oceans, everything here. And I think yeah. we kind of forget, we kind of get a, a local uh, perspective on God's creation. So, so what's that kind of look like as far as your experiences go of, you know, experiencing God's creation and seeing it in multiple parts of the world and actually being out and being able to experience it more? Yeah. Great question. Like um, the, the animals that are, that are in Australia, it's like God made everything else. And then he's like, all right, now I'm going to do some really wacky crap, you know? like you know <laughs> yeah. seriously you look at you know the koala that's a weird thing man uh, i got stories about those. it is yeah um but i'll tell you the one that just blows my mind that people can sit there and go yeah evolution this evolved from that to make a platypus and there's yeah. there's an animal that is unlike anything else it's a, got a duck bill on a beaver's body with a poisonous spike on its back legs. I mean, come on. Where did that come from? Like, <laughs> what led to that other than God saying, let me throw a little wrench in the gears here, you know, of everyone's theory yeah. of evolution that's coming, you know? Like, it just doesn't happen, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, and nobody talks about the platypus. Nobody talks about that. It doesn't fit the the no. uh, argument for evolution. So this is kind of one of those ones that's yeah. not uh, discussed very much. Yeah. So let's just keep a lid on that. And and the fact that it <laughs> lays eggs. Come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, the, the it's those things that just speak to his divine creation. You know, just like Romans um, says, you know. Hey man, you know, the heavens and earth declare his glory and no man will be without excuse. And, um, yeah. So anyway, there is some wacky animals here and, and I, the kangaroo, you know, you think it's cute and cuddly, man. Those things are a monstrous animal with huge pecs Mm -hmm. and biceps and triceps. They are ripped and they'll, they'll rip you apart with their back leg. That's their defense. They'll, they'll stand on their tail. And just go whoop up and and cut you with this claw that they've got on their back leg. I mean, it is a wacky bit of animals we've got here in Australia. The echidna, you know. Do you know that one? 
You ever heard of the what echidna? is it? It's called the echidna. The and what echidna? Is, I don't think I've heard that one. No, it's like a small. It's like um, shaped like a badger, but the size okay. of a house cat. And it's got yeah. I just googled it like, when you said that, and I can see it here. Yeah, it's like a porcupine, yeah, anteater, badger type thing. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Super cool. I think it lays eggs too. I think it's a marsupial. Um, they're super fun to run across. Um, I've never tried to touch one or anything. I don't harass them like that. Um, mm-hmm. but um, they'll just kind of hunker down. That's their defense. They'll see you. And they'll just squat down, cover everything, spines up, and say, have at it. What are you going to do? You know? Um, yeah. It's a weird animal. I mean, they're just everything in this Australia is just wacky. I think God was just like, man, I think he was just like, I, I'm, I've made all this other stuff and these systems that work and make sense. But here we go. This is my playground. I'm going to have <laughs> some fun here. I've got some of these extra parts laying around. Let me throw them together real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but going back to your, uh, your, your question about, you know, what I think about Australia, I think that really kind of sums it up right there. It's just the crazy animals that are there and, you know, how large some of those animals can be, and, you know, the size of snakes and spiders that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just crazy how, how unique and how um, diverse, I guess the, the Australian wildlife is. And it's, that's really cool that you've been able to, experience that there yeah and um so like the camels those aren't native and those were brought here 200 years ago to build the railroad system across the desert and they were like you know a a horse uh you know beast beast of burden is what they were so that um Mm -hmm. they didn't have to they didn't require much water they were better than a horse for dragging you know railroad ties and then when they were done with the railroad, they just let them loose. Now there's a million feral camels out in the middle of Australia and um, sheiks from Arabia and whatnot. They love them because they're actually the purest camel. Everything else in Asia with um, the increase in trade and, and stuff, they're all mixed. And, and this is now the purest camel in the world because there was just such a small group came from Afghanistan or someplace and um, dropped here. That's interesting. That's in, I didn't even know that was a, a thing, a feral camel, right. especially running around in Australia. That's, that's right. crazy. And I'll tell you, it's the best meat you'll ever eat. It is so good. It, I could tell you yeah. it was, you know, Japanese Kobe beef massaged every night and saying lullabies charge you 70 bucks a pound, you know, <laughs> And then I'd tell you it's camel and you go, no, it's the best cow I've ever had. And the bummer is I think we just can't deal with, you know, fencing them in to herd them to manage a population and do all the dredging and whatnot to do the worms to, so we can sell them commercially. That's the bummer. What, a, what an amazing bit of, bit of protein that we could be taking advantage of instead the government's shooting them out of helicopters military rifles it's a bummer right man that's that's interesting though i'd be interested to try some camel meat for sure that that sounds that actually sounds pretty good (laughs) i I can i'm kind of sitting here playing through through my head and just kind of thinking about you know the process of the the hunting and the process of you know harvesting meat off of it and i'm actually kind of interested in that that'd be be, that's pretty cool (laughs) i've got pictures i don't 
I don't do a lot of those on the Instagram with, um, I don't know, cutting up animals and doing that. I just, yeah. And I don't do a lot of smiling shots. I try to do my Instagram just to educate and whatnot, but man, I'll just, I'll send you a couple DMs of some backstraps that are just monstrous. I'd be interested in seeing that. I'll definitely, I'm looking forward to seeing those, man. But as we're kind of, you know, wrapping up here, we're kind of bumping up against time here. I do have a couple more questions here. Uh, These are, these are, you know, these, of course, this one is anybody who's listened to the podcast before you've heard me ask the, all my guests, this, this is something I get all kinds of answers from. And I love hearing what you guys have to say. So my question for you is what does hunting mean to you? Yeah. Um, it definitely is just that the, the very nature of who we were created to be was to be walking in the garden with our creator and and everything else in this world distracts us from that. Everything that we have to deal with, the, the pulling of the weeds that uh, Adam's cursed with was now translated to managing, you know, a classroom for you or tens of millions of dollars of tech crap for me at a time. And what hunting does for me is it reminds me of my purpose. And my purpose is just to walk with my God, to be able to talk with him, to hear from him. Um, and it it affords me time like the Sabbath to just rest. And I spend a lot of time because it's a year round season here. I love it, but I I will just find myself sitting there reading my iPhone Bible in a likely spot and enjoying the quiet. Um, that's what hunting does for me. It allows me to just open up the back door of my head and let all of the stuff that's been taking me away from my, my Lord um, to go away for a moment. And, uh, anyway, even my wife, what a lovely supportive lady she is. She's just like, she can tell that I need to go and she will scoot me out the door. She's like, just get out. You'll, oh, you'll, you'll do better. Out there. Yeah. You know, and it's not that she doesn't like me. She just likes me better when I have, have done that walk, you know, she, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And thank you so much for, for sharing that. I think a lot of people, they can relate to that. I know I can, I know, you know, talking to so many people on this show that that's, that's, a, that's a common theme with what hunting means to a lot of people is the, the idea of connection back to God and, you know, actually getting into his creation and, you know, resting and relaxing and everything and, you know, resetting and reconnecting with him is certain, certainly important. And it's kind of like a extended Sabbath. So he gives us one day a week where we can connect with him where we're intended to connect with him, you know, in a, in a restful state. And, you know, I think that, that hunting, it gives us that opportunity where it's, you're in the raw form of what he created. You're literally surrounded by trees. You're surrounded by vegetation and the animals that are, you know, they, they know God just as much as, as you do because they were also created by him. That's, that's pretty awesome. And it, um, it definitely helps when there are like, there's tons of non-believers here. I don't think we have too many believer friends. We, we, we really got our church, but um, we're, we're kind of the oldest people in the, we're 46 or so, you know, and we're like the old people of our hipster church, but all the, um, <laughs> so we don't really have um, friends our age except for non-believers and those non-believer friends are uh, very interested in what I'm doing with my archery and my animals and 
what I'm, and it always affords just a little bit of a, uh, an excuse to talk about God. And I'm going to tell you, um, those long drives or the hike in or the campfire with those people, um, man, you got to take every opportunity to tell them. And I, I, I'm saddened by the times of the 40, 30 years prior that I didn't take the opportunity to tell people because someday we're all going to be, you know, on the other side of this life. And there are going to be our friends that will be like, man, Elliot didn't tell me about Jesus and God or whatever, you know, what the heck? Here I am in eternity, you know, in not a great place. And he didn't tell me and he knew and we hung out, you know, so it's those that's what hunting has done is it's afforded me the opportunity to just kind of slip it in, at least slip it in. Sometimes I'll get over caffeinated on a drive home and it's coming out of me like a fire hose and people are just sitting there trapped next to me while we're driving. And then, <laughs> and then well, hey, they're, they're without excuse. So there's that. <laughs> There you go. That's awesome, man. That's, that's great to hear. And it was great connecting with you. And I appreciate you being on the Rice Kill Eat podcast with me. This was yeah. a really fun and educational conversation for me. I, I really appreciate you being on. And where can listeners, where can they connect with you and everything that you're doing? Yeah. Where I mean, just anywhere that's, that you're out there as far as the uh, the interwebs, I guess. <laughs> right. I'll, um, I should be stepping it up here as soon as coronavirus uh, really helps us um, get back out. Um, but I have the Instagram at down under Bowman. Um, then I'm just starting to do a couple of YouTube videos that are just pretty much centered on, well, they're all centered on God and it's, it's called mustard center as in when you muster up, you work at, um, that's always been something for me. I've, I've always had to work for everything, work to, to, to fly fish, work to teach myself archery, work for my relationship with my creator. I have to muster up my center. Anyway, Mustard Center on YouTube. You can find some uh, wacky videos that I make while I'm walking around in the forest in camo. And um, those are the two that, you know, reach out on DMs if you want to talk about heavy arrows, man. I'll talk about heavy arrows all day long. And I'll show you pictures <laughs> of the efficacy of a heavy arrow setup. There we go. That's awesome, man. I'll make sure that I have those links and I have that information in the show notes of this show. That way everybody can just kind of go down there and check those out. And Instagram was actually how me and you also got connected. You had sent me a, a message saying that you were listening over in Australia. And I was like, holy cow, like this is, yeah. this is crazy how, you know, this, I'm, I'm literally sitting here in my bedroom right now in Kentucky. And, you know, I, that's where I record all of my, all my episodes and it's reached people and made an impact in people's lives from all the way over there. So I appreciate yeah. you connecting with me, man. And I appreciate you, your, your friendship and, you know, yeah. having you on the show today. So, so thank you so much. Hey, good job on, on stepping out and, and making a podcast and doing the work, man. That's a lot of work and, um, editing yeah. all of our conversations. So if there's like something viable that came out of my mouth, that'll be a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Bro. Uh, that, this was a fun conversation, but I, I definitely appreciate it, man. Thank you. <laughs>